0: It's Kiki here. And Alex. We're putting on our Sunday best and setting foot on the red carpet today.
1: Elliot Clay and Hayley Doyle join us to talk about And The Winner Is, an awards-themed musical.
0: They reflect on what it's been like to work on a commission basis.
1: And how to create great demos to help your show shine.
0: Welcome to
1: Making Making a a Musical, musical. the The future future of of British musical musical theatre. theatre.
0: Alex, I am... So, so beyond excited for this episode. We are honored to have a friend of the other palace back in the studio. This episode, we are talking about a new piece that's been written by Elliot Clay, who's done music and lyrics, and Haley Doyle, who's written the book. The piece is called And the Winner Is. And Elliot, <laughs> can, you're a friend because you and I went like through trauma bonding around putting millennials up in the studio almost a year ago now.
2: Over a year ago. Oh my gosh,
0: where has time Just gone? So,
2: like in true millennial fashion, we feel really old.
0: <laughs> the irony of it all.
2: Yeah, and I was saying this is actually the first time I've been back in the studio since since the closing night. So it's it's very it's quite sad to see it not as pink,
0: not as pink and, and foily, with
2: less avocado e. But it's lovely <laughs> to be back. Thank you for having us on.
0: No, thank you. And we're really excited to hear about what you've been up to, including this piece since then. So. Maybe let's chat about how this partnership came about because obviously, Elliot, you wrote Millennials solo and now you're in a collaboration. Talk us through the origin story. So the origin of the story, it started, it was a few years ago now
3: and I think it was kind of uh, in the depths of COVID times. then. And I got this lovely message. It was just as my second book was released. Um, Love Almost, it's called. And it's uh, it's commercial fiction. And it came out in that h- horrible January 2021, as you know, new year, new start, and then everything went into lockdown. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was quite disappointing, really, because, you know, bookshops, you couldn't go into them and all that kind of stuff. And then I got this lovely message out of the blue from Morgan, who is a, one of the producers of IE Productions who is going to produce and the winner is. And it was just an idea then. And he was like, look, you know, um, would you be interested in writing the book for this musical idea that we've got? And it just seemed to be like a bit of a light in a dark time, just this this opportunity to do, um, to write the book of a musical. I mean, I've written lots of musicals for kids um, the book, uh, the, the, the scripts for kids, but I've not written one for adults, but I write novels for adults. So it was suddenly like, this is my chance to kind of bring those two things together. And, um, and then yeah, further down the line, Elliot came on board.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And in a very similar way that Morgan just happened to message me. And I think he'd, I think he'd heard some of the tracks I'd released from, um, millennials, and as soon as he we jumped on Zoom, realized we're kind of from the same hometown, which was nice. And as soon as he pitched me this idea, it was like, oh, <laughs> you just have that instinct where you go, this is really exciting, which is not always the case. If you're lucky enough to be asked to consider projects, it, there was just something about it, and there, And then we then we met, and it was quite a long sort of time before we actually started, started writing it. Mm -hmm. And then it's been a really intense, about just over a year, hasn't it really?
3: Yeah, kind of on and off. We've had like blocks of like a really intense time. Like I'd say from about February to June. It was just, our our mind was completely on this show, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I was on tour,
2: I was in the mousetrap and then I was on tour with the mousetrap. So I I think I foolishly thought that whilst I was in my various hotel rooms and digs in the (laughs) daytime, I'd just be writing. And then I would just swan up to the theatre and do this amazing show and come back home. (laughs) And that was slightly, uh, (laughs) I realized that the the exhaustion of being A in a show and on tour is not conducive to writing. So, um, but when I got back, it was, we had a very intense periods from May. To I think May one of the June. things
3: with writing is sometimes, you know, it, it, a lot of the time you've got to write when you have got nothing else on so that you could, you have the space, the creative space to, to breathe. But you know, when you are really, really busy and you can't just suddenly sit down and turn on those, you know, that creativity in your mind and start writing, but it's there at the back of your mind, it's sort of festering and growing. And then when you finish the tour from that moment, you finished the tour in, was it May?
2: Yeah. End of May. Yeah.
3: Until we handed this in at the end of June. I mean, that intense amount of work that you did was unbelievable and it was amazing. So it was clearly all in there. It was going in, you weren't just sitting down at your piano and writing. It was all kind of happening, it, mm. you know, and I think I find that as well with writing, you know, and I do various other jobs around my writing and I've got, you know, I know there's something that needs to be written, but I haven't got the time to just sit down and do it because it can take longer than what you think sometimes that, it is their building. It's just the back of your mind. And then you get, you know, then you get that lovely chance to sit down and write it. Yeah.
1: So you alluded uh, a little bit there to the fact that it is a phenomenal concept for a musical. It's one of those where you hear it and you think, why has nobody else ever done <laughs> yeah. this before? So give us the pitch. What is And The Winner Is?
2: So And The Winner Is is a, a fictionalised version of real people. And they are the, um, every year when the Oscars is being rehearsed, which is such a huge operation, you have a group of people sort of familiarly known as the stand-ins and they do an intense five days of rehearsals where they will literally stand in for the celebs, for the directors, the producers, the animators. And, um, it's a fascinating job because they are, they are living almost the, the dream, you know, the stereotypical dream to win an Oscar and to hold it above your head. Um, but then they go home or sometimes they, they might be seat fillers. They'll get to Mm. maybe go to the ceremony and they kind of see someone else do the real Hugh Jackman present the Oscars that you were just presenting in that, in that place. And I just think A, a lot of people don't really know that they exist. And everyone has such different reactions when you tell them about this, ranging from why the hell would you want to do that to wow, that's such a cool, cool job. Um and B, it just felt like a very interesting way to explore lots of different issues through the microcosm of this, this, this family uh of of, of people and, ex- just, and exploring the idea of what does it mean to win what is the true value of winning
3: yeah and the true value of happiness isn't it like Mm. can you put your happiness on achieving that goal you know if you become a hollywood star does that mean you're happy if you win the oscar does that make you happy um you know or can you get on stage and pretend to be those people and hold a fake oscar and still get the same feeling because you're going home to maybe something that is you know more of a value to you um, so there were so many things to explore and also it was the fact that it was an ensemble cast. Mm. Um, I absolutely, I'm so, I'm always drawn to stories where it's not just about one person or, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of different stories going on, lots and lots of different cast members. Um, and this instantly, cause it was about a group of people. It was just, you know, it was such a lovely idea to, to start exploring with. Yeah.
2: And also I think, were our, our producers. So IE productions, and that was co-founded by Morgan Large, who's a, a brilliant theater designer, who's actually Frank and Percy up in the, up in the main uh-huh. space. Uh, and, uh, Matt Cole, who's obviously just won the Olivier for Newsies. So two hugely talented, um, people on our, on the team. And they encouraged us to go, go big.
3: big. <laughs> yeah.
2: I said, that was exciting as well. It was, it was thinking, how can we, certainly for me coming from millennials, which was a a very big sound world, but I always knew it was going to be a small cast of six, seven, eight people to, to start to write for a a big ensemble of 30 people was, um, was also exciting. And I think that, that um, the story and the world in which we're dealing with, which is Hollywood and Los Angeles um, and the movie biz, Lent itself to that, so it was. It's kind of been one of those dream projects mm. where you're just like, should I add that massive chord, that massive string? So I'm like, yeah, of course, and if anything, make it bigger.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay, so you both are approached, you both come on board, you start writing together. What if you like, let's nitty gritty unpick, what does your process on a day to day basis look like? How do you communicate? What do you what do you are you led by book? Are you led by music? Is it quite collaborative and it comes together?
3: So the book had been written first. I mean, an old draft that's obviously been written yeah. <clears throat> quite a few times to make, let's say, the second draft. <laughs> it's probably like the
2: hundredth draft or yeah. something. But you know, the
3: official <laughs> second draft yeah. for me, anyway, because I was on board first. And there
2: was a di- there was a there was a different writing uh, music team. Yes, on board originally. before I I came on. So Got it. We inherit. I inherited. We inherited this yeah. amazing script. And I think as soon as I read Haley's script, which I think you pu- maybe had sort of. Dis- discounted. Maybe I thought, uh, might not be. I did be, actually. Be
3: I, because w- when we were going to start working with a different team, um, they, they, you know, they wanted to keep me on board as the book writer. And I said, I think maybe we're missing something. You know, I, I think I just lost my confidence in it. And I said, let's just put this one aside for now. And why don't we just brainstorm a completely different idea that's still about stand-ins at the Oscars. And we had lots and lots of fun experimenting with all that. And some honestly, truly bizarre ideas came from brainstorming, which I love. But when I look back, I'm like, I'm really glad we didn't stick with that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, some really bizarre, but brilliant ideas. And then um, when I think you'd been approached about it, my original story had been kind of sold to you. So when I started telling you about these new ideas, you were like, Hol- hold on, what? Yeah. <laughs> you were like, can I just reread the the, the proper script, the, 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 the original script that you've come up with? I was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, it was all fine. I was, you know, it wasn't, when I say I lost confidence in it, it wasn't because I didn't think it was good. I just thought, is there another story we could tell with these
2: people? And I think also so, there was a, a concern that maybe the script didn't lend itself to be a musical and yes. didn't, there, there wasn't space for songs or, um, it felt more like a, 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 a like a teleplay or mm. a screenplay. Well, I was
3: told that I was, okay. you know, I was told that by, by some people I was working on with the last, um, music team. They said, uh, love the story, but it feels like it's, you, you could just send this to Netflix now and it could get made into a movie. But
2: I, I, see read, it. Song I was, read it. I read it and it was instantly like, that's the moment, that's the moment. And I think what I loved about it was there weren't these obvious lead-ins to a song because I think sort of sort of plotting that is a really, um, was an interesting part of this. So I was like, absolutely. That moment there where that character is in a shop and someone says one thing to her, I was like, that's the moment we expand this into a massive, uh, you know, a massive number. Um, it, it, I I sort of found so much magic in the, in the ordinary, which Haley had sort of written the, the everyday lives of these people. Um, and I that was on really Zoom exciting.
3: When, I remember on Zoom when you said about that moment and I was like, suddenly it was like, of course, you know, your brain is so, is, is completely different and unique to you. You're going to pick out different things. And when you picked out that moment in the shop of that character, yeah, kind of the first and I was time. like, that, that never came up originally, you know, so it was so exciting to hear where you thought the musical points were and we could work with that. So we went back to this original script that was very realistic and it was all, all very plausible. And it was inspired by a YouTube video of the real, of the real, of five of the real stand-ins. I mean, the amount of times we've watched that video and I still <laughs> don't get bored. It's a four minute video on YouTube. And I think, yeah, there's five of them in it and they just talk about what it's like to be a stand in and that's my whole script is based on just this four minute video and whenever we were getting stuck in the process, which we can, you know, jump to in a bit, we always watch it again, don't we? And we yeah. see what, and there's these little tiny bits that come out of that video and we go, oh, that's where we could make a song. Or That's, that's something that that character could say to lead into that. Mm. So we went back to that.
2: We sort of started from the beginning yes. almost. We sort of was like, okay, we've got this, let's almost pretend it doesn't exist yeah. and, and start and And I rewrote it and start again I
3: don't know I think some lines exist from that script the whole feel is the same and a lot the characters are the same I'd say probably um, let's say the ten characters nine are still in it you know we killed off a couple we killed off one (laughs) or (laughs) two Actually, we killed off two and then we brought one He's back. He's been reincarnated yeah, yeah, yeah. As, a, oh. as, a, as a supporting one. For one bro. scene. Lucky <laughs> him. The most horrid character. So we've brought him back just for one scene only, a very quick scene, get him off again. But um, we couldn't quite let him go. Maybe he'll be let, let go in the next draft. <laughs> I don't know. But um, so, yeah, so all of that. So the heart was still there. And then I've just rewritten it so many times, and, and especially like opening scenes, like the same sort of thing happens, but the dialogue we maybe have saved a line or two, but it got to a point where I was like, you know, you, what is it? Um, Like, is it, Um, Stephen King says, kill your darlings. You've got to let go of some of those lines, even if you loved writing them. If it's not working for the story, you've just got to let it go. And you can't, and what I was thinking is you can't get to where you need to be without those lines being there in the first place. So they're never truly gone. They were just part of the process, you know, even though you've hit delete. All the, all the lines
2: bit. directly inspired the songs and yes. it was sort of, um, I sort of stole them, and moments that were huge scenes might have been truncated into a song. And yes, that's, better, the, to, that's the, better to sing that. It's the magic yeah. of of music in that it can be a it can be a time passing. It can be whatever you need it to be, mm. and that's, yeah, that's and that's what we did. Really, we sort of and worked pretty pretty chronologically before then sort of going all the way back and that back and forth. We spent
3: a lot of time on act one and then act two sort of naturally came together much quicker because of that.
2: Well, the thing is we've got so many, um, we've got a family of people and we've also got, you know, the stand-ins. We've got a central character. We've got a couple of sort of people on the periphery. So act one was all about setting all these different story strands in motion and establishing themes both musically and and, mm-hmm. and text-wise. And so really once we'd found a way of doing that, hopefully in a non-predictable, non-formulaic kind of natural way, yeah. act two felt very much of um, uh, a, a big plot point, major plot point happens at the end of act one, which then takes us into act two. So act two was very much more self-explanatory. Act one was really tough going, how much of this do we need? Threading the needle in and out. But
3: uh, also we just couldn't decide what to do with our main character because we constantly like daily going, she should be an actress. No, she shouldn't be an actress. No, she should be someone who really, really wants to act. No, she should be someone who's never thought about it like it was it was absolutely too She sides should be American, coin, she it?
2: should be British, she should be yeah. and I think in the in the so she's called Zoe and in the in initially she wasn't an, an actress, and then I think we spoke mm. and i I think um there was something nice about her a being British because we are a British team, so yeah. it sets up that we are seeing this heightened slightly over the top world of Los Angeles through a Brit's eyes, but also I think seeing it through someone who is not an, not an actor. So that when they enter, they, by beautiful chance, happen to stumble upon the world of the stand-ins. And it feels, it feels more like, it's more of a dramatic challenge for her to fit in with these people rather than someone who was already versed in stage left, stage right, downstage centre microphone technique. It felt-
3: It's about inviting the audience in to be- to be zoe as well
2: because we can explain things to zoe because they need to plot wise and that helps us expositionally not have to We
3: didn't want to alienate anyone in the audience because this is such a, it's such a sort of subculture of the Oscars, you know, no one (laughs) knows about it. So people are going into it going, I didn't know these people existed and so is our main character. So instantly the audience can Mm. relate with Zoe and be on her side and be finding out things as she's finding them out. So that definitely felt like the right, right thing to do in the end. Yeah.
1: So Zoe arrives in LA Yeah. and we get the opening number which is called Hollywood Dream. Oh, it's Hollywood Dream, but Dream is,
2: because I'm so edgy, Hollywood <laughs> Dream is spelt with three asterisks, so you're right at the end. So it's the dream, the dream is unobtainable, even in the, Can't even, even say in it. the title. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, you never get the chance to say Just... this the
3: Hollywood Dream someone talks over you. <laughs> so good.
1: <laughs> and we're lucky enough to have the song to listen to <laughs> now. So, um, just tell us a bit more about how that song came about and how it fits in.
2: Okay. So it's, it's actually, it's the first main number we hear, but it's the, it's, it's kind of the second musical piece. And basically what we, what we see, there's a big magical overture and we see a lady giving her most fantastic rose tinted Oscar speech. And she holds the trophy aloft. And with a bit of stage magic, we realize she's in her bathroom. Her kids are banging on the door. Her husband's lost his keys and the Oscars was, the statue was actually a bottle of shampoo. Her ball gown was just her towel and she's (laughs) looking a little bit frazzled and staring into the mirror, sort of questioning her life. Um, And then we sort of, the the camera zooms out and we go into this sort of whistle-stop tour of Los Angeles and all these different people trying to pursue their dreams in work and out of work actors, people that have never acted. And then through it all, we end up at LAX and Zoe emerges through the mist, a complete fish out of water. And she has just, a few months ago, about a month ago, she has put names in her hat. She is desperate to escape her, what she sees as mundane life, working in an office. And she's just come to LA and she is a complete fish out of water, looking around at all these people who are relentlessly pursuing their quote unquote dream with asterisks, um, yeah, and that's we sort of contrast her against the the world that she arrives in.
4: Okay, sure, it's not quite how I. I'd be spending my mornings pouring coffee cups in La La Land Slowly bored by oat milk and by goat milk and by pumpkin cream Still I'm living that Hollywood Oh my god, this place is a pastiche That's a $4,600 dog and diamond leash Once you've trod in a puppy poop and swallowed all your self-esteem, then you live in that Hollywood. Oh, no. My agent's not returned my call. Oh, no. This goofy suit is way too small. Oh, Oh, no. I don't look like... This Picture at all, Poodle be a little while, Poodle even pees and stuff. It's almost like you've written me. Did Donald Duck just hit oh, on me. My granny pays the bills Will anybody notice me? Will anybody me? notice me? Maybe it's impossible, maybe it's unreachable, maybe it's inevitable that I will crash and burn. But when I lose my poise, I see. stop and drown out all the noise. And I'm not here, I'm by my pool in Santa Barbara. Learning three new sides for my new docudrama. All it takes is one small break, nothing's too extreme. When you live in that Hollywood... Not quite how we planned We'd be spending our days and nights Surviving life in La La Land We're so much more than this shitty job If you don't stop, you're gonna scream, we're gonna scream. But we're living that Hollywood thing. Oh no My landlord's doubled up my rent Oh no The darn raccoon's back in the vent Oh no this is what they meant when They said it's impossible, it's impossible. They said it's unreadable it's They said it's inevitable That I will crash Fish and burn Imagine what they'll say When turning on TV one day And they'll sing that it's leaving on their names So we don't mind, of the mind We'll be cheering <laughs> my name While I'm up in a famous people's instant stories <laughs> I won't have the strength to scrape to just survive. i will have a maid and a chef, and I got me. drive me through Hollywood. Maybe I'll try Dollywood. Living that
1: Hollywood. Okay,
4: Zoe, so it's time you took a chance. In three months, you'll call Walkers, Lays, and trousers, pants, and. Who cares what they'll say at home? It's time to own your crazy scheme And start living that Hollywood I'm not here, I'm by my pool in Santa Barbara Learning three new sides for my new docudrama All it takes is one small break Nothing's too extreme de, de la Oh, dream. So
0: Elliot, that was you singing. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you yeah I, sorry to everyone listening.
0: <laughs> no, no, but I think what's really exciting is to talk about how does one make demos? Because being on the receiving end of having to listen to demos for the podcast, for submissions for the other palace, the importance of a good demo Makes or breaks whether somebody wants to, I think, engage with your show. So talk us through how you made the demos and with the hopes that somebody can take something away and apply it to their own practice
2: yeah well, I think so, in terms of just a technical thing i use um you use a digital audio workstation I use logic, which is on um uh on max and yeah, that's just all virtual instruments. it's all me playing the drums and playing the violins and singing every 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 part um so in terms of the technical thing, that's how you do it, and you don't really need a lot of fancy equipment to get good sound nowadays. There's lots of free orchestral libraries that you can use to create sound. I think in terms of, do you need to, or why? Why do I do that? I think for me, most of what I write is um, sort of pop-based, which is very hard to get across if you are just delivering a piano demo. Um, so that's that's one reason. But also, as I'm writing, I do find that I I'm not an orchestrator, but I do write with the the sounds in mind, particularly with this, that um, I wanted to try and create a score that um, I thought there was a very obvious way you could write this musical, which was to make it all golden age, jazz, Hollywood, and it all becomes a bit of a parody and a spoof. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to write something that Took this amazing melting pot of Los Angeles, which is so many different cultures, particularly the the, the sort of Latin influences and the new wave pop and the the Hollywood golden age lusciousness, and sort of smush them together. So that's what that's why I do that. But I think it's it. I think it is nowadays important to have as high a quality as you can just to to give an essence of what you're thinking, because you're always asking with this, it's different with millennials. I I did it because I needed to, um, I, I I didn't have anyone to send it to. It was just like, I hope one day someone hears this, so I'll try and make it as good, good quality as possible. And I think I've carried that through. Obviously this has been commissioned, so I don't have that, but you still want to get across exactly what's in your head, even if it ends up sounding slightly different, working with an, or- like an actual orchestrator. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's important. And also, I th- yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it just comes from, um, from that experience with millennials where I spent sort of four years writing it before taking it to the studio. And then Nikki and Joe Davison obviously made, they weren't demos, the songs that are released, they're like proper, properly recorded. Um, yeah, it comes from, it comes from that really. But I think if you, Also, I would say that as I am doing the demos, I will rewrite as I'm recording because you are hearing Mm. a more realised thing and you can see, oh, actually no, I need another bar into that. Or actually maybe I could change key there, which is sometimes just harder to do on piano. I don't tend to, I'll, I'll write the scores, the actual notated scores after the demo and even then i will rewrite for the notated <laughs> score so the demos then become a different thing they're like a guide but go to what's on the what's on the page
1: and Haley, for you obviously you have a background writing novels yeah so how does that differ to writing the book of a musical
3: well my favorite part of writing novels is this is the dialogue and my books are very dialogue heavy um i remember doing a module on it i did a master's in novel writing um At Brunel University, and I remember the dialogue sessions just—no pun intended—really spoke to me. (laughs) Hey, Um, and just how much you can get so much amazing information in two characters having a conversation. Um, So that was something, and and it was strange because a lot a lot of other writers who were amazing writers on the course really struggled with dialogue. And I don't know whether Mm. it was just—I mean, I trained as an actress, so you know, I went to drama school and everything. So is it? that, you know, it's just in me to, you know, scripts. I, I was almost 10 scripts into novels. And when I started writing, um, a lot of people used to say, to me, Oh, you're writing a play. Um, you know, I was in musicals at the time myself. And I, you know, I'd kind of get home like late at night after my show. And I was kind of all buzzed from being on stage all night and I would start writing. And I used to write until three or four in the morning and that, and you know, when, you know, like my cast members and my friends would be like, oh yeah, you start writing. What are you writing? Are you writing a play? You writing a musical? And I was like, no, I'm actually writing a novel. And they were like, whoa, what? Um, and I don't know. I, I see, I, I liked painting the whole picture, I think, but it's always done very much through, I'm writing a book, but could I see it on stage? So it's kind of been quite a natural transition really. And I think from having worked with children and working in children's theatre so much and writing plays for them and the dialogue. And you know, it always writing kind of big ensemble pieces, you know, because when I'm writing for kids, um, you don't want to leave any kid out. You don't want to give one kid the main part and all the other kids stand in the background. Mm. You know, the parents aren't gonna like that. <laughs> so <laughs> you know you can't you try and share it out and create a story with lots and lots of characters. So I think you know, the natural transition for me has been going into writing a musical with a nice ensemble cast. And what you said Elliot, about writing, rewriting it on like in the moment, Mm -hmm. I do that as well. Like I, I wouldn't just kind of bash out a first draft and then look through it and then work through it again. I can spend a really long time on a very, very, very short scene because I'm writing it, rewriting it, rewriting it until I think it's ready. So whenever you're reading a first draft, it like I say, probably is quite a few drafts down the line. Yeah.
0: And so you've we've also talked briefly about the commission based model. Yeah. Of how how musicals get made. And I think that's something that we're exploring quite a bit in this in this season, season four of making the musical. We've got a few shows that are are part of that commission process. And I think it'd be really good to. Maybe demystify that a little bit, because I think, you know, writers, you know, Elliot, as you were with millennials before, you know, Paul and the other palace picked it up to produce, writers are always writing things and then hoping someone will come along and and make their work happen. The commission model is a little bit different where the idea is, you know, potentially born from, you know, the producer side Mm. and there's money potentially up front. So Mm. as much as you feel comfortable sharing, can you demystify what that process has been with um, your producers? So getting approached to write something, it does
3: feel amazing. It's, it's fantastic. Now I do think we've been lucky though. So this is the first time I've actually been commissioned to write the book for something. And I do feel lucky in that the producers have been so open-minded. They gave me an idea, but they were like, let's see what you do with it. We want your ideas Um, I don't know whether, you know, if I got commissioned to do something again, that the producers might be like, okay, this is specifically what we want. And you know what, as a writer, I'm totally open to that as well. I think that's actually a really nice, that could be a really nice process as well, because it'll take a lot of the thinking away from you. You can just get down to actually writing the dialogue. Um, But I, it's, it's been lovely in that both Morgan and Matt have sort of said, you know, what what do you think? What are your ideas? Where would you like to take it? Um, and if I say, oh, I'm not sure about this part or I'd like to add in this, they're like, do it, do it. You know, they're not going to say no to fresh ideas. And I think that's been a really amazing part of this process.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my first time being, um, commissioned as well. I have been approached, lucky enough to have a few things sort of floated my way that, um, that haven't, they haven't felt right. So I think, um, it's sort of obviously something like millennials was all, it was born entirely of, of, of me. I think it's trying to sort of keep that same spirit with, with something that even if you are commissioned and there is obviously more of a guidelines, if you've said yes to something, it has to be because you think you can bring something uh, to that you wouldn't, you couldn't live with yourself if you said no.
4: Hmm. no. Um,
2: but yeah, it's 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 it is a long process, and actually, it was it was a good sort of maybe eight months from being contacted about it to signing a contract. You know, that's a, that's another thing that um, happens. But still, even when as that was ongoing, I was still sort of thinking of writing it, even though there was a chance that maybe.
3: uh, Because like I said before, thinking about it is a huge part of the writing process because, you know, you can't just open up your laptop and say, right, on Tuesday, I'm going to write four scenes. Uh, It doesn't work like that. You know, you can say "Oh, on Tuesday, I'm going to do all my life admin Mm. because it's, you tick (laughs) things off a list. And unfortunately, creativity just doesn't work like that. I wish it did because, you know, my life at the moment, you know, with having young children is so much more of a routine than it ever used to be. You know, I can't believe I'm a routine person. You know, I'm someone who's come from an acting background and, you know, just very very spontaneous and now everything is set into a routine and if i can't get creative between 9 and 3 <laughs> in the <laughs> middle of the week then it's going to have to wait until the next time i get some time and um and i would say part of the commission process what's i think what writers like is i, I think in some ways even though we're very, very creative people, we do like getting told what to do. Sometimes, you know, magazines will approach me and ask me to write something. They say, what do you want to write about? And I go, uh, Hmm. you know, there's loads of things, but they say, can you write about this? And I'll just say, yes, you know, because then you've got a focus. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I think when you're commissioned, it does give you a focus and, um, that is, that is a very nice part of the process because you can still be creative. You're still doing what you love, but you're not having to think of everything. You know, a lot of people are saying to me, when are you writing another book? And it's like, well, I I'm free to write whatever, whatever I want. And because I can write wherever I want, I can't think of a single, (laughs) you know, one focused idea. Whereas if someone was to say to me, we want you to write a book on the breakdown of this relationship okay <laughs> you know um so it's that that is very
2: nice I I, yeah. I I actually am the opposite to that actually i think with this it was such a good idea and i think that was one of those one in a million uh hey. chances so we've got a song in the show for one in a million <laughs> ugh, gross um, <laughs> um uh but i so with, with this i was like oh yeah this this is i i need to do this but actually i do i do actually like coming up with things from uh scratch but it does take it does take it takes time time to do that it is quite overwhelming where you're like what do i what do i do now that's that's quite um that's quite tough but um so
1: how do you even have ideas in the first place
2: well that's kind of um it's a chicken and egg thing I would say mm-hmm. um sometimes it is it, it well most of the time it is it is born from the script. There were a few times actually where I said ah I think we should have a song in act 2 that's kind of like this but I know we're about 3 months away from getting there. I'd often have ideas for a song do have be really unproductive all day. And then just when getting act two beginner's call and about to go on stage, I'd have this idea and then be sort of (laughs) sat on stage, obviously trying to do my job as an actor well, but sort of thinking maybe D to D show. No, 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 back.
3: That is so true. And why does that happen? Because I mean, the amount of times that I have had ideas at five to three, as i'm leaving the house and how many voice notes have you had from me as i'm walking to yeah. the school to collect the kids yeah. and you know and i'd be like yeah, yeah i'm walking now yeah it's raining i'm going to get the kids anyway how about this blah 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 blah. it's like why didn't i why couldn't i send that at 10 a.m where well, you could have then got inspired we could have like hopped on a facetime or something and talked but yeah
2: and actually that opening it's the pressure song almost yeah, isn't it it is ideas it come from the in. pressure don't mm. they but that opening song when i had the idea for that which was back in it was around april 2022 I was doing the mousetrap in the West End and I was sat, I had a long break before a scene in act two and I was thinking about it so much that the DSM rushed round and I I, I literally, as I got there, it was my time to walk out
4: oh, on stage.
2: So that scene was actually quite a panic scene. So it was probably the best I ever acted in because <laughs> <ever since,
1: laughs> I was in, hopefully, it's, hopefully that, that panic was worth it <laughs> yeah, for, that, for that song. <laughs> so I think it's time to to listen to the second song closest I get tell us about Ted and the closest I get
3: oh Ted we just love Ted don't we we? love Ted 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 is based on um well a real stand-in inspired Ted for me and you know it's only like say from that four minute video um I just created this whole character just based on a few lines that this real stand-in has said And we've created this whole character and he's, the thing is with Ted, he's actually really talented. He's just never had his break. And that, that in just that story alone always gets me that, you know, this industry is, it's just so based on look and where you are and how you look. And, you know, we, we, you know, everyone knows that. And this guy, Ted, you know, he's Juilliard trained and he loves the craft, but he's just so grateful. And he's you know, been
2: a stand in for sort of 20, 25 20 years. years. A lot of yeah, a lot of these people have in real life have they are a family that return, return. I think again. he
3: was saying you know, twenty six years and counting, you know, and he he's the one who when he gets the call every year to say, Can you be a stand in? you know, you're free this year. He just loves getting that call. He's just so grateful because, and you know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, if someone says, Hey, can you do this read through? Yeah. You know, he's just so graciously there and he's actually really good because he does some impressions in the script as well. And he's always very good. People like he's good, you know, uh, he just never got the break and yeah, he's sharing the stage with the A-list and he's just so lovely to them and so grateful to be next to you know, Hugh Jackman on stage, um, he's not bitter, but he could do what Hugh Jackman does. He really could. And, um, and for all those reasons, we love Ted. And then Elliot wrote this beautiful song for him.
2: And just to set it in this song, they are, they are rehearsing, going through the motions and someone, one of the, an issue with the microphone happens and a a, a stage manager just says, oh, just hold this for me, will you? And hands him a real Oscar statue.
4: Most folk never see one They might with their TV on But most folk never see one for real on the screen, be shrouded in the haze of a dream, but most folk never see one for real. They don't know that it weighs quite as much, how it's cool to the touch, how the contours cast tiny prisms of light as such feel the pride as you clutch it like I do. Yes, I do. And this will be the closest you get to making history. This will be the closest you come to hold. You'll get And no more And I've seen Thousands of dreamers try A few of them make it But most of their dreams Crash and die But year after year I live their ideal And while I'm up here It feels almost real So maybe it's the closest I'll get To making history Maybe it's the closest I'll come To holding worlds in my hand Maybe it's the nearest I'll be to see Just a few have seen before The closest I'll get And never more Maybe the closest I'll get But boy, oh boy Was I close
1: One of the things that I have found so exciting about this show is just how many different character possibilities there are. Yes. And so it's really great to be able to meet a couple of them through those songs you shared. Um, But what is sort of coming up down the line for And The Winner Is? What are the next steps for you guys as writers uh, towards getting this show on stage?
2: So so a couple of months ago, we delivered um, a first draft, which was pretty complete actually, there weren't many, many gaps in it. And now we're moving into that, the reading phase, and then hopefully a full workshop phase. And then really from that, it's, we hope and pray that all the various different things coalesce together and we get to, we get to stage it and we get to realise it, where that will be or how that will be, not entirely sure. But I think it's, what's been nice about this actually is it's like, talking about this a couple of months after really not thinking about it for a yeah for a while and i think it will be nice when eventually we do sit around and having you know it's i can i can be passable on those demos but having but having real having having actors that you know that aren't us talking about it and reading it i think that's the exciting next day
3: actually hearing it come to life and people of
2: age as well we've got a cast that the main cast is sort of at the youngest is sort of in like early 30s and the oldest is 88 yes (laughs) so having that having that i think will be is really exciting yeah
0: rather than kind of me just sitting in my kitchen and doing all the voices (laughs) and so much comes up in that workshop process as well You, you know probably your draft that comes out of that will have you know a lot more changes and be a lot more richer because you'll have learned so much yeah, from hopefully. that process. And the dynamics
3: of, of the actors and working together and you know, the chemistry, does that chemistry work uh, It with the words, you know, actually, could we just get rid of those lines because the chemistry is so strong, nothing needs to be said. Mm. Um, that kind of stuff I'm really excited to do. And you said, cause it's such an ensemble piece just to kind of get those people in the room and see how they all, you know, how they all love each other, how they all hate each other. Um, you know, do do the argument scenes work? Does the tension work? You know, there's there's very little we can do, and we're just reading it out together, <laughs> or just with like one other person. So to actually just, I think the next step now is just to hear people bring it to life.
1: Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you're listening to help us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world.
1: You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk.
0: That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making Making a Musical, musical, the the Future future of British Musical musical Theatre.